Hey, Joey, great podcast. I just listened to it. Love your voice. Love how you brought in all the different references. Uh, question to you. What is the difference between a cultural critiquer and a cultural creator? The voice you just heard is my friend and mentor, Dale. Someone who continually has supported me and challenged me in my intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and creative evolution over the last many years. His question here is a good one. As I'm speaking to the art of making a living, there's an allure to critiquing all the ways in which things are not going well for humans in the create the life you know you're meant to live department. So how do I, and maybe how do we, get to approach an issue where we get to recognize and appropriately point out what's not working and then not get stuck there? Because there is value in pointing out what's not working well. And there is a time then to look forward and move on. So how do I not get stuck in the role of critic and instead be sure that each and every day I'm stepping into the role that I know I want to play in my life as a cultural creator? What makes that difference? My name's Joey Cardella. You're listening to This Naked Voice. I gotta admit, these solo episodes are difficult for me. I mean, I got notes on notes on notes everywhere on my desk, on my computer screen. And uh, I do my best to keep track of what's coming next. And still there's this thing of, I like to bounce ideas off of people. And when there's no one to bounce ideas off of, I feel the pressure of like, ah, is this entertaining enough? Is this interesting enough? And uh, I can't tell you how many times I've already re-recorded major sections of this podcast episode started over scrapped everything um, it's interesting to see how i come up against my perfectionist perfect riddle perfect especially in these solo episodes but this topic this um this topic of work and meaning and purpose and the art of making a living is really important to me it seems to be something that that's captivated me since I was a kid. And so I hope that this is something that is also intriguing to you because it seems to me to be something at the center of not just about making money, but it's about what we are here to do with our lives. To me, work is not about really making money. It's about how we express ourselves in the world. When we engage with work, it shows us what we're willing to put up with, how we handle difficult relationships. It can illuminate the difference between what I say my values are and what they actually are, based on the difference between my words and actions when some moment of important decision finally comes up. Will I do this just for the money? Or do I value something beyond what I believe this money will give me? So why might anyone uh, give up their values for the sake of money, right? Why might that be a thing? I would argue it's because of the subconscious myth that we talked about two episodes ago in the first of this series, the myth of the little king. There's a nice little kingly fanfare. So 
to review the myth of the little king. This myth started to take hold after monarchies started falling and democracies started rising. As people yeah. had access to more education and as technology was increasing, soon people saw that, hey, it's not just royalty that will be able to have all this um, wealth and leisure. It's going to be yeah. available to so many more people like us. We're going to get to have this too. And all we're going to have to do is work for it. Yeah. And we're going to get to have our own little castles, which will be our houses. And we're going to have our own property. And all we have to do is work for it. And we're going to get to enjoy it too because we're going to have time off from work. We're going to be able to live like kings. That's the myth in a nutshell. Now, if you're listening to this and you live in the Western world, you might be thinking, well, hey, that's actually doesn't sound so bad, and that's kind of how things went, right? Most people here have their own space, they have their own house, they have their own property. It's not just the royalty that have their own property to enjoy. We do have vacation time. We do get to work for what we want, and we own things, right? That's This isn't a myth. This is reality. And yes, to an extent, what I want you to consider is what's underneath that myth and that mentality as well. And this is not a judgment. I want you to just consider what it is. This mentality of everyone gets to have their own and you get to work, work, work to then enjoy it. Just consider, do you really get to enjoy all the things you work for? How many weeks of vacation do you get? How much time off from work do you get? I mentioned the first episode that it was actually labor unions who fought so hard so you'd only have to get to work 40 hours a week as opposed to the typical 100 hours of a factory worker. But more than that, this mentality of the, the little king, it values ambition. I want it all. I'm going to have my own castle, my own. Because maybe a small house is enough. Maybe you want a bigger house. You want more land want more possessions. That leads to consumerism, right? Leisure is no longer associated with contemplative arts. It's associated with buying things, with capitalism, essentially, the worst parts of capitalism. The mentality also values security in conformity, which is a keeping up with the Joneses sort of attitude. Hi, Miss Jones. But there's a piece missing isn't there? Why are we doing this? Why are we trying to live like kings? Why are we trying to keep up with the Joneses? I mean, the Joneses sound great. I know some Joneses, and they're wonderful people, right? But why are we trying to live like them? Why are we trying to live like kings? There's something unspoken that we're trying to get, we're trying to achieve, we're trying to have. And I'm going to make up here that part of this myth concludes that once you get to live like a king, once you get to have your own castle, once you get to have your own stuff, you get to consume what you want, and once you get to enjoy all that you've created, then you'll be happy. Then you'll be fulfilled. But only then. And if this is the case, then surely you see the issue here. The myth of the little king has us putting so much of our life energies into activities day in and day out in the form of work that we believe will give us a return on investment, happiness, fulfillment, that come in the form 
of safety, security, status, and stuff. As opposed to asking the question of how might what I do each day and who I choose to be, how I express myself in the world, bring me fulfillment, regardless of extrinsic rewards. Alright, so there's a review of the myth of the little king. And so now let's get into this difference between what is a cultural critic and what is a culture creator. What's the important difference there? And this doesn't just go for critics of culture, it goes for critics of any kind and creators of any kind. There's a distinct difference. One tears things down, the other builds things up. The thing is the energy that goes into both criticism and creativity may start from the same place. The critic who tears something down may actually have the desire to make something better. The thing is they're only pointing out what's wrong. They're not offering anything new. Looking at cultural critics. Cultural critics view themselves as products of a culture that they reject. They're at the effect end of life. They see themselves as victims of this modern age. They can see everything that's wrong because there's a lot wrong. But these critics have no sense of agency and they've got no vision of the future for themselves. They're focused on everything that has been up till now, all the events that have led up to this moment in time. And they say, you see all that has gone wrong? These critics feel powerless to change their circumstances, and they feel there's nothing to do about it. Everything is shit. On the opposite side are those who choose to come to terms with society. They are the artists of life. And in contrast to the critics, they have a vision of the future. They have a sense of agency, of will, and they take action towards creating the future that they envision. They view themselves as culture builders. They don't leave it up to anybody else to do that work. They accept that it's their responsibility to create the future they desire. If you find yourself living life in a non-conforming way, because you rightfully believe that things have somehow gone awry in parts of our attempts at modern living, I want to invite you to do some self-inquiry as to the nature of your mindset. Do you feel empowered to affect change? Or do you feel like everything's going to hell in a handbasket? Do you believe that you have agency over your life? Or do you consistently feel like events are happening to you that are outside of your control? Where is your focus? If you wish to be more than just a critic, whose main role is to point out what's wrong and then take no responsibility for it moving forward, if you want to step into the role of being a creator, then the primary difference is that of accepting that the responsibility is no one else's but yours, and that exercising your own will is of the utmost importance. I asked Dale for his thoughts on what makes a difference between a culture creator and a cultural critic, and he gave me back a really nice few paragraphs. I'm going to read them to you now. Here's what Dale said. Cultural critique is only of value to the extent that it sheds light on forces that shape you from the outside. Seeing these previously unperceived forces that unconsciously affect you give you a choice. It allows you to align with them, to take parts of them that resonate with you, or to reject them. 
cultural critique does not illuminate creative ways to live your life that more fully express what's lying dormant within you. It does not illuminate creative ways to live your life more in harmony with nature. It does not illuminate ways to live your life holistically. Criticism and creativity are binary choices. One cannot critique and create at the same moment in time. Criticism arises out of intellectual analysis and it's susceptible to paralysis. Criticism is easy and it's therefore seductive. It's all too easy to become lost in critique to allow no time for creatively feeling into your life. Creativity, on the other hand, arises out of spirit and soul. It must be nurtured in the solitude of introspection. To bear fruit, it must be allowed time to grow, to leaf, to ripen in compassion. It cannot be continually uprooted and analyzed and critiqued. So Dale reminds me that no one can ever give me agency, right? Agency is mine for the taking through the exercise of my active will. And my will is only grown and strengthened through meeting the resistance given to me by the external world. And so all this comes down to the choices I make in the face of the circumstances I find myself in presented to me by the external world. What choice will I make here? Critics predict a dismal future based on judgments of the past. And look, this fear of the unknown is common, but it's misguided. We don't fear what we don't know. What? We fear what we think we know about the unknown. We fear the unwanted things that we think will happen in the unknown. And I'm going to say that again because I really think it's worth repeating. It's not that we fear what we don't know. We don't. We fear what we think we know about the unknown. We fear what we make up is going to happen. We fear the unwanted things that we think are going to happen in the unknown. That's what we fear. It's not the unknown in itself. And the future is unknown. It's unwritten. And if we give in to the temptation of the ease of criticism without creation, then we are allowing that fear to direct our life. Rollo May was a, an American psychologist and author, a contemporary of Viktor Frankl for a while. And he has a book called The Courage to Create. And he writes early on in the book, about what do we do when we're faced with this fear of the future, of the unknown, the uncertainty ahead of us. He says here, A choice confronts us. Shall we, as we feel our foundation shaking, withdraw in anxiety and panic? Frightened by the loss of our familiar mooring places, shall we become paralyzed and cover our inaction with apathy? If we do those things, we will have surrendered our chance to participate in the forming of the future. We will have forfeited 
the distinctive characteristic of human beings, namely, to influence our evolution through our own awareness. And I would add, our own action. My goal is to be an artist in my life and an artist of life. And I know how easy it is for me to fall into patterns that don't serve that way of living in the world. It happens all the time, way more often than I'd like to admit. So how do I keep making that shift towards being an artist of life? And how might you do the same? It always starts with awareness and the choice to take responsibility. My invitation would be to notice your own patterns of criticism and creation. Which energy are you in more often? Spend time doing things and spend time with people that inspire you. And also, spend time alone. Alone time allows you to listen to the calling of that which lies dormant within you. That is what must be nurtured through the solitude of introspection. All that process, I believe, is part of the way of how we become culture builders and artists of life. Thanks for listening to this episode of This Naked Voice. If you like the podcast, please go and leave a five-star review. It helps the podcast get found in all the podcast sites. You can write me with any questions or comments at info at this naked voice. And find me on the social media channels. Handle is at this naked voice. Have a good rest of your week. And be good to yourself.